Thanks for joining us for Mississippi Prospects, a podcast focused on economic and community development in our state. Hosted by Jeff Rent and brought to you by the Mississippi Economic Development Council. Welcome to Mississippi Prospects. And once again, we're on the road from the IP Casino Resort and Spa in Biloxi from Mississippi Economic Development Council's Exchange Conference. Joining us today is Mark Williams, founder and president of Strategic Development Group, business consulting firm, providing a variety of site selection and location incentive negotiation services for medium and large corporations. SDG has worked with U.S. and global corporations, including BP, Bridgestone, Tupperware, and Commercial Metals Corporation. Mark previously served as Chief Development Officer for South Carolina Department of Commerce and was recently Chair of the Site Selectors Guild. Please welcome Mark Williams to Mississippi Prospects. Jeff, great to be here. Thank you. Well, thank you. I know uh, you have had a lot of opportunity to speak with a lot of people here today. Um, Part of it about trends that we're seeing, and we're going to get into those in just a minute, but also sort of about your process as a site selector uh, that has worked for you and for your clients. And you start off with sort of a group of fundamentals. What are those? Uh, Our fundamentals, which we've refined over the years, uh, are simple, but somewhat different than than, uh, others that practice. the most fundamental point is in alignment with our client about what drives their search and what drives their success. That seems simple, but it's so important to verify at the beginning of a project because without that direction in the beginning, there can be a, a wandering process that occurs that wastes a lot of their time and money in the time of economic developers trying to help us find the ideal site. You know, that proceeds through screening of sites, which has become much more technical in terms of the data sets that are available to us. Uh, We do desk reviews. We do uh, field inspections. We narrow. uh, We do negotiate incentives and and finally help our clients select what they believe is the ideal location. One of those fundamentals, you talked about how critical speed is in this process. And it's interesting. Sometimes I've worked with uh, state government for a few years, right? Uh, not always known for speed. Uh, I think economic development tends to run a little differently than uh, what people would consider typical state government. But why is that so critical now? And are we just going to keep seeing the velocity increasing? In other words, are we need to get, going to need to be faster and uh, lighter on our feet? Uh, I think the velocity is going to continue to increase. One, because it can due to technology, but the real driver is companies typically need to come to market sooner, better, faster. So they drive us in that direction. At the same time, they're uh, very risk averse. So speed is good, but speed with a great deal of risk is a problem. So we have to balance that in our searches. So we're we're finding the right site. I mentioned risk. I mean, a company of size that locates in the wrong area pays for that for 40 or 50 years could be billions and billions of dollars so that process is very important that alignment is very important and uh, of course perhaps a bit of sales on our part but we think having a a site consulting firm like ours involved can can literally save millions or billions of dollars in the long run and of course being in the wrong 
site, you know, like you said, costs them money over the long sure, term, sure. Uh, but also can reflect back upon whoever the site selection consultant was perhaps as well. And absolutely. So your reputation's on the line every absolutely. project. Absolutely. And fact of the matter is most communities or states want companies that are going to succeed. They'd rather not have a location that's hampered in some way. So we're all on the same team. Talking, yeah, about sustainability. Correct. Very important. That builds uh, better, stronger communities. So wrong might be defined as uh, the wrong labor pool, uh, the the, uh, logistics that aren't working, uh, utilities that aren't working, inability to expand, there's so many factors involved in site selection. It's it's more than a real estate decision. So that's what we're helping with. I've talked to previously in other podcasts, conversation, say a decade ago, more than that was, uh, you know, this paradigm shift. Companies used to come in and say, well, what type of incentives are you able to offer us? That's not the first question that gets asked anymore. There are a lot of other questions that come in before that now because, it's so important to get this decision right. Yeah, incentives never drive a legitimate process or project. Uh, to locate a project based on incentives purely is a reckless uh, and financially not viable approach. Incentives often do come into play. They come into play when a number of sites have been shortlisted, maybe two or three. Uh, each site has its assets and liabilities. We're trying to mitigate liabilities at certain sites, and we're asking for incentives to, to do that, whether those are site improvements or property tax regimes that are out of sync with the competitors. There are all kinds of reasons. And the goal, you said, is to get it down to one or two sites in the end. Yeah, it's like a funnel. I mean, we're going to start at the top. We may have 100 or 150 sites that we've solicited in multiple states, but ultimately we need to drill down to one actually. Uh, But typically we like to have uh, near the end two or three sites, all of them which would work wonderfully. Uh, If something falls out for some reason or something gets much better, then we can select our favorite. But having one site uh, is is a bit dangerous because sometimes things happen. You you find out there's a, a geotechnical problem or, or something else. So we like two or three to be hedged. And today you're looking at more data than ever. Absolutely. You're going to be looking at more data tomorrow and the next day. Right. And the next day. So m- balancing that speed and getting the decision right, is that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure, and I, but I, th- I think I should mentioned too, basing a site selection purely on data is also a bit reckless. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are other things that the data can't show you. There are other qualitative factors that are essential to a company's success that are are important. So absolutely, the data is important. There's more and more of it. That's very helpful. Uh, But the qualitative side is, is also very helpful. It requires, you know, eyes on a site, discussions with communities, understanding of the business climate, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we can't forget that. Uh, the, we get a lot of questions about, gee, will all the uh, searches be like Amazon? Will they just solicit and, uh, and so on and so forth? And, you know, I, I don't see that. Uh, I think that's somewhat an anomaly. We'll do more with data, and we'll do more with some will try that bidding process, but the, the core method is going to be preserved. Sure. That's that's not even the 1%. That's about the 1,000th of a percent, I think, the way projects go. Um, you had a series of things that matter most in the site selection 
yeah. process I saw in a presentation yeah. that you gave. Um, you started with site ID uh, or identification and readiness. And is, you're talking about having ready available sites that are ready to be at least shown or showcased. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier risk avoidance is, is critical and timing is critical. Uh, so site readiness refers to typically due diligence that's been done on a site whether it be geotechnical or evaluation of wetlands or ownership to verify uh, a ready condition. Um, so sites that aren't ready tend to be eliminated because we don't want the risk that we find out later something's wrong. So uh, sites that are defined generally in control of an economic development organization, that's important. I can't tell you how many times we've, we've dealt with landowners that have changed their mind. We, you know, we're risk-averse. We don't mm -hmm. want that. So anyway, that's, that's the nature of that. Logistics also important to this. Logistics is critical uh, for, for most every project, but particularly in, in those like automotive where there are parts coming and, and cars going. But, uh, you know, in Mississippi, you know, uh, Toyota's selection of Blue Springs was a case in point having seen that in the project stage, I mean, where they located and their logistics costs were critical to, to that location. Yeah, because many of those OEMs operate or assemble in a just-in-time type of manufacturing process, which means, you know, your parts aren't delivered until they're needed, essentially. Essentially, and that gets even more complex with a a company like BMW that's exporting to 123 countries with different exhaust systems, different lighting systems, different color schemes in every car. Every car in that case is absolutely unique. So just in time takes on even a deeper meaning in, in that situation. We always go back to workforce and I've had many discussions with different consultants and local developers about the workforce Everybody thinks, you know, we, we talk a lot about it. We promote Mississippi's workforce. And, you know, we had a frank discussion about having to overcome preconceived notions of any one workforce in the Southeast. And for the state of Mississippi, you know, we have a very strong manufacturing workforce and we're working to build a deeper pool of talent. But you're not always looking for that either. Uh, a company could be very high tech and then you're looking for a, what, a concentration of people with those types of qualifications. Yeah, so workforce is an issue. It's a national issue. Yeah. It's not just a Mississippi issue. That's driven by the growth of manufacturing, and it's grow, uh, driven by increased automation and, and, and uh, in productivity in manufacturing. So different kinds of companies need different things. Uh, companies involved in pharma uh, need, uh, you know, sort of a white coat philosophy, uh, significant accuracy, clean rooms, so on and so forth. Uh, most companies now are dealing with a situation where technology is changing rapidly. So you can't train someone and expect them to work a lifetime based on the training you provided. They might work for three years or five years based on that training. The hire needs to be someone that can absorb the new technology every several years. That's what's required in this workforce. Uh, and and that, that's how it's going to be for forever, as far as I can say. So promoting uh, not a ready and available workforce, but a trainable 
workforce or adaptable workforce is also important when you're talking about what assets you do have. It's the number of of those people that are available in the pool and their ability to adapt and, and implement technology, quality, et cetera, because it's changing over and over and over again. And it's important who's going to be teaching them those new techniques or technologies. Uh, we have our network of 15 community colleges in Mississippi uh, right. that have a seat at the table throughout the economic development recruitment process with companies uh, to discuss training options. And a lot of our companies I've found are that at locate in Mississippi are bringing their equipment over and the community colleges are actually training first on the right. equipment right. so right. that they can teach those skills. Right. So I would submit the community colleges are essential to that process. Uh, one thing I mentioned yesterday in my talks uh, and that our clients are increasingly emphasizing is it's it's important to be able to train uh, the adult workforce, 18 to 55. What we seem not to talk too much about is pre-K and, and before that. That's, you know, the first years of, 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 of a child's schooling is when they're absorbing these reading skills and these abilities to later on absorb these technologies. So uh, we, we've got to focus on the workforce training. There's no question. It needs to be refined and improved. But my gosh, if, if we don't get it right in the beginning, it's never going to be right. And that again, that's not just a Mississippi discussion. That's a Southeast discussion, a national discussion. But we're going to require more and more from these infants, literally. That's our next generation. It's what we got. Well, you've probably experienced this yourself. Three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old takes an iPad, can open up uh, mom or dad's iPad, start working it, can actually operate it sometimes more efficiently than their parents can. Most every time, right. And they're absorbing this technology without even realizing it. It's almost like an osmosis type of process, but they're, you know, it's been there from day one in their lives. Uh, are we really, do we need to find better ways to concentrate on especially the STEM skill areas at that younger age so that it's really just part of their life throughout their educational career up through high school? Yeah, I mean, I think STEM skills are, are critical, and as much as we can integrate that at an earlier age, I, I'm not an education expert, but I, I, guess, I guess in a general sense, um, if we can instill in children the ability to absorb information, uh, which may not always be absorbed through a game on their iPad, it may be, but they're going to have to be able to read and listen and have those STEM skills and be able to synthesize information, understand it, make decisions based on it. Uh, so it's, you know, 50 years ago, it's you train somebody and they do some repetitive motion and they're good to go. That's over with. It's done. Those jobs are gone and things are increasingly sophisticated. Critical problem solving skills. Uh, I think not a lot of people talk about that, but I've known in my career uh, when I build a team, one of the most important factors, and it's all—it's hard to quantify, mm -hmm. uh, especially in an interview with a candidate, uh, but I try to find people who have what I call crit critical problem-solving skills. They can be presented with a problem, and they can find a solution, and right. are not afraid to work towards a solution, and they're not always looking for somebody else to solve that problem for them. 
I don't know it's how not we teach o- that. It's not always the A student either. No. A lot of times it's the C student. I, I, I spent the weekend with a college buddy who's an executive at a major corporation, C student. He just knows how to think and solve problems. So there you go. Yeah, it's uh, critical problem solving is, uh, I think, a very important quality. You also mentioned the financial case. And are we talking about, does it make financial sense? Are we talking about the incentives? Are we talking about all of this? for companies, whether it's a place where they can grow and uh, meet their goals? Well, it's it's a competitive marketplace, uh, both in terms of people with competing products. It's also in terms of capital where equity investors require returns. Um, and so we're always analyzing the, the quantitative, uh, you know, what, what will it cost to locate here Initially, what will it cost to operate in a long term? What is the value of incentives uh, and other offsets for that matter? What's the value of the business climate? And so that is more complicated than it might seem when you're evaluating different states with different kinds of cost. And so the sort of the value we provide our clients is trying to boil that down into sort of an apples to apples comparison. And that's an art form. And frankly, most most of them couldn't do that on their own. So that's, that's a big part of what we do. We talk a lot about incentives. The fact of the matter is a lot of incentives that are offered have little or no value. And so if you assume they are valued as presented, uh, that can really impact your financial model. So that's part of the guidance we provide in our site selection service. The last thing you had on this slide and used, I think, quotation marks around is the feeling. The feel, yeah. The feel. What, what do you mean by the feel? Every client, no matter the size of the project or the size of the company, wants to feel good about where they locate. They want to feel that they're going to be incorporated in the community, add positive things to the community. The community is going to contribute to them as well. Um, so... It's rare that a company that has a a bad feeling or a mediocre feeling about a community is going to locate there, particularly if there's another community that they have that right feeling and the financial condition is very close. So that's a very important part of the selling process for a state or a community is letting people know they're welcome and, and, and they're going to be backed up. Things get tough sometimes. Companies locate, maybe there's a flood, maybe there's a tornado, some other calamity. They want to know they're in a community where they can help the community and the community will help them. And that's why they have an important part in this process, either through the local economic developer and maybe the board that they might answer to or the commission or however they're structured when presenting you know, their whole community, not just the site, but what else is available. You also mentioned a lot of macro business trends that you're seeing. Yeah, lots going on. Yes. Very important. Uh, We heard from uh, Futurist earlier. We did. uh, Jim Carroll uh, talking about automation and self-driving cars and electric vehicles and all of that. Uh, But you were talking about the shrinking share of U.S. manufacturing jobs. First question, I guess, would be, well, where are they going? Or did they go anywhere? Well, in my view, they went and this has been going on for 50 years. This, this isn't last week or last month. This is a long-term trend of uh, a reduction in the number of production manufacturing jobs in the U.S. and simultaneously a significant increase in, in output. So less people, more output. That's the trend. They went two places, in my view. 
One is uh, the productivity, uh, you know, made it possible for the, the work of one person to, to produce the output of previously four people. Uh, to a certain extent, uh, many of those jobs did go overseas to low-wage environments. So, you know, th- those would be the two places they went. I think that the first and foremost and, and most important is pure productivity, pure capital intensity uh, and efficiency. What I've discussed with many people is that uh, with automation technology, where, as you said, one person can do the job of many now, uh, is also creating new opportunities, but we also need broader skill sets. We need uh, people who work in uh, any number of sectors, and we often discuss manufacturing here as an example, but you know, this person doesn't need to be able to just operate a machine. They need to have some coding skills now, yeah, perhaps to fix problems on the line and keep their machines working. Um, are states doing enough right now to address as this continues to change? Because as you said, we're never going back to where we were, you know, 30, 50 years ago. Uh, this is where we're headed. And either if you don't get on the bus, you're definitely going to be left behind. Yeah, so states are, are addressing that. Mississippi is addressing that. Employees, in essence, are operating equipment and assets with greater and greater values that do more and more. So it requires increasing sophistication amongst those employees. I mean, I would say generally that's reducing the number of jobs, but I do think there is some, you know, there, there are companies that make robots and produce other automation, and those those people are creating jobs. I'm not sure if they're creating as many as have been eliminated, but there is a, a thriving business in, in automation, no question. Unemployment levels have eclipsed pre-recession levels. They have. And, but that, cre- you know, we love to promote that. Uh, I've seen a number of graphics uh, online, social media, you know, heralding these great low unemployment rates. But if I'm a company coming in here, you know, that might be a bit of a red flag because that creates a thinner labor pool. I have a smaller pool of available, ready available candidates. Are you finding that's creating new challenges for you and how to find uh, employees to come in and fill these jobs? Yeah, I think the unemployment rate is is an important indice. It's, it's not the only one. Uh, it's impacted greatly by the labor participation rate. I mean, it's a measure of those looking for work. So as an example, I think the June unemployment numbers came, or the, they, they, they went up actually in June, although there was a significant increase in jobs created. Why was that? More and people were enticed into the workforce. So it's helpful, uh, but, but overall, it's a challenge. Overall, uh, people are employed at higher levels than they've been in the last eight or 10 years and uh, it's increasingly difficult for employers to, to find and, and retain people. I can't explain the seemingly stagnant wage increase or slow increase. I, I don't think anybody's figured that out yet. But company, you know, there's an issue for companies, and that's the number of people that are available um, and the skill levels that are required uh, among those that they need to hire. Looking at it from, let's say, a, a real estate, uh, consumer real estate perspective, we always say it's either a buyer or seller's market. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's a worker's market or somebody looking for employment. You know, it's ripe for it would, them. It would but, seem so. But the wages are not matching up yeah. where we, 
we would think that would be one of the ways that they're trying to retain the employees. It's been I, slow. I, I don't think anybody's figured out why the wage growth has been so slow in the midst of that buyer's market for the worker. We'll have to find an economist well, to maybe. Uh, I don't know if they can do it, but you know that would be another good podcast. So you've uh, talked about expansion times are getting longer. What is that an indicator of, and what do you mean by that? Yeah, the the, the current uh, U.S. economic expansion is approaching the longest in the in history. Uh, I mean, if you look at a graph of recessions and expansion since the 1800s, you know you you see a recession, you see years of recovery, a recession. It's it's cyclical. And in this particular cycle, our number of months in recovery is approaching the largest number of months of recovery there's ever been. So the question is, if if recessions and recoveries are cyclical, where is that next recession? Uh, we ask that question related to our business and our clients' business. And what I mentioned yesterday in, in my speaking is our clients aren't feeling a recession coming which is pretty interesting. If you talk to the contractor sector, they're not feeling like a recession's coming. So it feels good. It's just interesting this has been going on so long. And if it is cyclical, when does the cycle end? The big question, I think everybody's asking that, uh, especially as you said, this this cycle has gotten very long. Right, Incredibly long. Uh, Real quickly, and we're nearing the end of our time, been able to touch a little bit on tariffs, the great debate going on right now. It's a national conversation, which I guess in itself is healthy to have that national conversation. But the potential impacts of tariffs uh, in Mississippi could be fairly substantial, especially with some of our top trading partners, uh, Canada, Mexico, China, European Union countries. Uh, We're talking in China, for example, potentially $229 million uh, of targeted products for retaliation tariffs. Are you finding your clients are maybe getting hesitant now to pull the trigger on a current project and waiting to to see how this or in anticipation of how this plays out? Uh, The answer to your question is yes. Uh, Our our foreign direct investment clients are, are generally very concerned about this. They're in Washington, making their case or making the case with governors. Uh, Some clients are are threatening to put their projects on hold. Uh, They want to understand where this is going to end up. And I'm not sure anybody knows where it's going to end up, but those states with heavy foreign direct investment are the ones that will be most impacted by that, Mississippi being among those. Others South Carolina, my home state's another. They're projected to have the third greatest impact of any state in the country. So uh, there's a great deal of concern. Uh, It's affecting decisions. I raised this yesterday when I was speaking because it's not a, a political position on my part. It's just the fact that our business is starting to suffer because of it. Uh, and, and, uh, I think that means uh, slower job creation uh, for Mississippi and, and slower investment for Mississippi, and that should be a concern for everybody. Well, perhaps you and I will get together in a, a maybe a year or two and see how uh, this is playing out, and uh, hopefully we can turn this corner. Well, and the alternative to that is some things that need to be rectified or rectified by this process, whatever it is. Uh, Maybe it was painful, but it was worth it. I think we'll just have to see what happens. Almost like a market correction. 
Could be. It's I. I uh, my analogy is it's like surgery. Uh, you know, you you you're gonna have surgery and it's gonna be painful and there's gonna be recovery, but in the end, you're better for it. I hope that's how it works out. The importance of the site selection process. Uh, it's data driven. Uh, looking at future trends. Mark Williams with Strategic Development Group. Thanks for joining us. Jeff, wonderful to be with you. Take care. Mississippi Prospects is brought to you by the Mississippi Economic Development Council, the Mississippi Development Authority, Cooperative Energy, Greater Jackson Alliance, Entergy, Mississippi Power, Tennessee Valley Authority, Watkins and Eager, Butler Snow, Jones Walker, and produced by Pottery Studios. If you have questions or comments, join us on Twitter at MEDC Info.